Welcome to CFO Insights, the leading podcast for finance professionals in disruptive tech, brought to you by the Startup CFO community. I'm Guy Hutchinson, and I'm the host of the podcast, as well as being a tech CFO. In this episode, we're going to talk to Alina Broadfoot, CFO at BeautyPie. In our discussion, we explore the important steps in Alina's early career, realizing that finance leaders had access to all the business information and are well positioned to drive value. We gained some insights on balancing work and family life and the power of coaching. And she reveals some remarkable wisdom on why founder chemistry trumps all for CFO selecting their next role. Elena, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Guy. Great to be here. Yeah. Well, look, um, I was having a, a, a chat with a mutual friend of ours a couple of months back, and he happened to mention your name. And um, I was interested to hear how well things had been at Beauty Pie and the scale that that business has reached. And also that you've just had this really interesting career where you've been with Virgin for quite an extended period of time and really achieved great things there and focus on these businesses that have got really high growth potential. Uh, and it made me realize that we should get you on the podcast. So really great to have you on. Cool. Thanks so much. No, that's good. Good. So, I mean, often when we have somebody on and we're talking uh, predominantly about their career journey, it's really interesting just to focus on uh, how you ended up identifying finance and um, how you started to think about really taking those skills and focusing on things that were super high growth. Yeah, great. I mean, oh gosh, I could I could start from year ten basically. <laughs> Whereas when you uh, when you when you think about it, um, when I was treasurer for I think it was a, a fashion show that we put on at uh, at school, and it was just the job that naturally fell to me. So I think um, from an early age was kind of in that in that financial kind of zone. But uh, when I went to uh, university, and you might recognise from my accent, I'm uh, Australian, but been in the UK for well over 20 years. Um, so I went to university in uh, in Sydney and um, uh, did accounting and finance. Was able to uh, secure a job at Price Waterhouse, uh, fresh out of uni. So that kind of gave my grounding in uh, in in finance. Um, and I really, I guess, from my perspective, uh, was always interested not necessarily in accounting per se, but more interested in learning about businesses and how they operate. And um, I thought from, you know, studying accounting uh, and finance, it sort of would give you a window into uh, how businesses operated. And, you know, as as I've kind of found over the years, actually being in finance means you have access to all the information. So you're able to kind of really um, understand um, what's going on in a business, how it's performing. And, and ultimately, particularly in my later career, you know, how you can really kind of add value and uh, and drive values uh, of, the, of the company. So I think just from an early age, was always interested and uh, intrigued in businesses. Um, uh, I, after qualifying, uh, Pricewaterhouse decided uh, I, that really wasn't uh, the... Um, career trajectory for me and so I went and did some work with um, Qantas uh, and then uh, deciding at that point in time for my husband and I to kind of move over to the UK to do a couple of years of adventuring and contracting and all that kind of stuff because obviously even with our qualifications it's super easy to you know to get work over here I think it's quite a well-trodden path for Aussies who have qualified to come over here little did I know that we would still be here (laughs) 
so many so many years on. Um, but um, I, I think I always kind of say that you know London treated uh, us and particularly me from a career perspective incredibly well. I don't think I would have had the breadth or depth of experiences um, in Australia just purely by the size and scale of the uh, of the of the of the climate over there, and particularly in the last um, ten plus years of my career working with more kind of high growth um, VC backed uh, tech companies. There's just a lot more kind of activity over here versus um, versus Australia. Um, but after landing in the UK, I spent about 13 years with Virgin, um, which was you know I guess where where it kind of really fueled my passion for D 2 C disruptive. Um, businesses. I had such a great experience there for about half of that working for um, Virgin Management, um, which uh, was kind of like the VC, the branded VC um, version uh, model that they kind of styled themselves on. So I cut across a bunch of, of companies across the portfolio and did a lot of more corporate finance backed work as opposed to pure um, accounting work, very much that kind of portfolio management side of things. So um, had a great exposure to a range of companies in the group. And then the second part of my career, I worked with Virgin Limited Edition. And we had a bunch of um, very high end properties um, around uh, the world, particularly kind of um, handpicked by the Branson family, either by Richard or his his mum was heavily involved as well, Eve, uh, particularly with um, the Moroccan property and that, that was quite different compared to the majority of all the other virgin companies because you know most when you think of virgin they're very mass uh, consumer um, based companies always um, more for more for everybody um, versus actually these properties were very high-end exclusive but I think for me I always kind of reflect on that I would never want to work for any other hotel company because of the way uh, we did things and had a very strong environmental sustainability but also doing good uh, in the world so it was the way that you know Richard was able to uh, influence uh, things uh, that were going on in the world yeah and that's and that's really interesting right because at that time Virgin is behaving like a very large but highly disruptive family office, right? They're totally in lots of things that nobody else would dare to even think about investing in and yeah. giving it a whirl. Uh, and around about that time, there, there were not other investors doing those things. They were one of the few people globally that would take those those types of risks. Yeah, 100%. I think in my later part of the time at, at the head office, so if you like, um, I was involved in some corporate development and some businesses, and I remember distinctly talking to Richard at a point in time about a particular company that um, was started up in the US, and um, I think his his directors um, were suggesting or recommending that we don't go ahead, but he was very much like, I think, I think I'm still going to say yes to this. I, I want to give it a go. So having exposure to somebody like that and working in such an entrepreneurial environment was was brilliant I just I, yeah. I absolutely loved it so hence why I stayed uh, for close to 13 years and you might ask why I <laughs> why I decided to leave um, I think uh, I, I'd had um, two children um, by that stage so um, had taken different um, lengths of maternity leave whilst um, in my roles at Virgin, and my eldest was uh, in year six, 
and uh, I'd been traveling an awful lot and I just felt that I was um, I was not in as much in touch uh, with her and her needs as much as I thought um, I needed to be. And uh, so it was, a, it was a pretty emotional decision because um, I was working fairly long hours and, uh, and was, was very dedicated to, uh, to the work, but really felt that I uh, needed to kind of make that trade-off for, for family reasons. And so I decided to leave Virgin, which actually took, sounds like a simple thing, but it actually took um, quite a number of months, I think, kind of signalled and talked about it for over a year about when the right timing was to go. And uh, when I left, um, I took the opportunity to do some do some contracting, spend time with the family, making sure and my daughter was transitioning from from primary school to secondary school, get her settled. Um, also, um, just yeah, just kind of really get get back in touch with um, with what I wanted and uh, what I wanted to get out of my next stage of career. Yeah. So and that's. And that type of story, right? Like, like those, those, those moments where you've got family things that need your attention. You've got your career that's going really well, and understanding that there are moments where you've got to make a trade-off within the family between those two things. It's not easy, and and a lot of people would 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 find it hard to talk about that with their friends or with their line manager. You know, it's still quite a difficult topic. Yeah, I'd agree, actually, and I think. It's only now um, or more recently, I guess, as I've kind of had my experiences post that period that I feel a lot more comfortable talking to it. But when you're in it, it's uh, it's really quite challenging because you've got all your peers kind of going full, um, you know, hell for leather on in their careers. And, uh, you know, it's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a challenging time to kind of navigate. So, I think you know what kind of really helped me during that period was um, I think I don't even, I can't even remember how I f- I found her I think it was one of these I signed up to an email list and it just seemed to hit my inbox at the right time but I received an email from Dr Sam Collins and she's um, an amazing coach um, who specifically um, is focused on um, helping women support other women. Um, uh, achieve what they want to achieve out of life and uh, and really make a difference in all areas um, of their of their life and uh, it uh, the invitation to a one-day workshop kind of came through and it just sort of asked all the right questions in that email and I just I signed up and and went along and uh, for the first time I think actually I'd it was a training session where um, I think there were a couple of men in the in the room, but it was predominantly uh, women. And the whole day was really um, about finding uh, out what your values were, start defining what your purpose is, um, and what it is that's that you find is incredibly important uh, to you to kind of help guide you through what a decision that you're going to make. And I'd say a lot of women there were uh, contemplating striking out on their own, doing consultancy, um, starting their own business, they've been fed up with corporate life, etc. And I found actually during that process, and it wasn't just that one one meeting, I think, you know, after that, I signed up to some coaching with Sam um, over a period of time over the subsequent years. Um, but um, what I explored with her was actually, I 
I did I, I wanted to kind of lean into that corporate uh, world I was interested in learning more um, I loved that kind of uh, entrepreneurial environment um, working with uh, VCs and investors and in kind of startup scale up you know kind of companies and helping really kind of grow value in in companies and I think it was also important for me as a female finance person as well to you know to be a role model and to um, encourage other women to uh, to seek careers in finance um, the truth was I hadn't seen a huge amount of women uh, in CFO roles at that stage in my career and uh, the thought of me kind of stepping out and doing a few consulting roles etc I think you know I, I think I would have been not living true to my values really and particularly having two two girls myself although neither of them want to go into into finance at all <laughs> they're more scientists um that you know it was important for me to kind of set that um, role model uh image and um yeah yeah it's really interesting to hear you play that back right there's there's just so much complexity there right like you've you've come out of what is a large institution virgin a huge huge business with lots of uh, sub-verticals, so super interesting, but but still like one large enterprise with a very um, clear culture. Yes. You're trying to find some time as you break away from that. So you're there for your family for a period of time and also using some of this time, find a way to connect with a coach and to really unpeel these things around values and purpose. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of people who are CFOs or on the CFO career path they would struggle with that. They would struggle to want to realize that that was necessary, that that was the time for them to peel back what was really important for them. Uh, and also really fascinating that at the end of that process, what you realized was that, that you know, it, it was almost your duty to go ahead and succeed because you just have all of this ambition and you wanted to be out there um, really delivering on a CFO role in a high growth business. Yeah, absolutely. And the things that I really loved was uh, were all the things that I kind of took forward. So, you know, working with disruptive business models, working with, um, you know, super interesting founders, um, always kind of wanting to kind of continue uh, to learn. So I made, a, I made a promise to myself that always look for opportunities uh, where I was always going to be learning something new um, and that... I was also going to be very clear about the value that I would be bringing and, and that I'd be adding to the business. And when I would start to get to the point where either one of those two things were not quite hitting the mark, <clears throat> then it was time for me to, to move on. And I, I, I kind of felt actually coming out of Virgin after such a long period of time, I, I, you know, I knew, you know, I saw younger people coming into, uh, into business and being much more kind of free with uh, how they kind of changed jobs and moved around a lot. And I thought I'm going to adopt some of that kind of mindset as well. And I think um, that's kind of guided me through the last 10 plus years of my experience where I've spent no more than two years on average. I think Beauty Pie has now broken the average because uh, I've been there for three years, but on average spent no more than two years. Um, at businesses and was very clear about each one what I was doing the uh, what I was learning from from that as well and uh, it was really important to me that I kind of transitioned from one to the other um, and had good reason for doing so and I think the work the coaching work really helped and gave me the confidence to be able to kind of do that and uh, I just I feel very lucky to have had some of the opportunities that I've I've had so 
Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. And I think one thing that a lot of people that would listen in um, on our CFO Insights podcast would would find interesting is this this ongoing coaching piece, right? Because I think it's quite obvious to a lot of people that you might embark on a program of coaching, and that would be whatever, six months, 12 months, maybe a bit longer. But actually, the, the part where you've got an ongoing uh, relationship with the coach, and it's adding value two, three, four years later, be interesting just to understand, like, how how does that work? How often are you spending time with that person? Is it is it through video calls? Is it through personal meetups? Are there top-up workshops? I think that would be interesting just to understand the ongoing element of coaching. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think everyone's different and uh, there's many different ways to kind of engage. And I, I, I think I never really set out on a particular, this is how I'm going to do it. But when I look back from the last 10 plus years from when I first met Sam, I think Sam, Sam Collins has been a, you know, a constant kind of thing throughout my career. Um, and some, sometimes I've sort of like lent in heavily. So I've had one uh, to one or group uh, coaching with her and that's been delivered over the phone. Um, I've sometimes gone to uh, some of the workshops that she runs. Um, she runs leadership um, events which have continued to get bigger and bigger um, over the years in uh, in London and uh, and in the US. But I've also, I guess, evolved my relationship, I guess, with Sam and the Aspire um, Group, uh, which which she uh, is CEO of. And uh, I have um, now participated as a volunteer at some of those events. So um, I actually am a trained coach as well. I've done a coaching qualification. So. Um, I I can help facilitate there and I also have mentored uh, people in her network as well women who are predominantly kind of working in um, not-for-profit organizations who may not have access to uh, the type of training and um, and experiences that that some of the women in corporate you know have so in a way she's kind of also helped me to give back um, as well which has been incredibly important to me and and my values as well but I think the journey has really kind of been I think it's consistent and I'm always you know looking out for um, ways in which from a personal development perspective I can grow and supplement it not only from a coaching getting coaching myself at periods of time when I feel like I need to work through something um, or decisions but also you know, I do a lot of reading. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of, uh, of the listeners that do a lot of, you know, reading of business books and, you know, things about uh, how to kind of drive, build high-performing teams, all of that kind of good stuff. You know, there's nothing like a, a good development book, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, no, we often see reading, listening, share. That's fascinating. And yeah. it is, is interesting that actually as your relationship with Sam has expanded, that you've you've actually had that classic thing where, the student kind of becomes a teacher because you've done some training as a coach and you've then done some mentoring as part of her wider organization. Yes. And that, and that piece where you begin to see those personal development relationships from the other side of the fence yes. um, typically helps you to learn and grow when you're the student again, right? So you can actually have gaps. And uh, we have quite a few members of the group who are in that position there, CFOs, they're still learning and growing but they're also probably mentoring three or four people. And uh, yeah, it's a fascinating thing that you can be both the sort of teacher and student at the same time. Yes, 100%. And I think, you know, all good coaches say they have they have a great coach as well helping them. So I know Sam has a coach. So um, and, uh, and I think it's just really important for somebody to kind of be able to kind of hold 
you know, hold a light uh, up and, uh, or it can, you know, and uh, for you to, you know, be questioned and um, have the space really to kind of explore some of these things. But I think for me, the coaching was for my own personal development. So uh, as in the coaching course was for my own personal development, but um, it was also because the teams that I were managing as well, I felt that it was incredibly important as I kind of you know grew in my career as well to be able to bring out the very best in in the people that worked for me as well and so I found often you know in the past uh where people that I was managing had kind of crossed the cross the line into kind of more consulting and, and kind of help them um solve the problems um, which obviously is one part of, of the job but I think there's a really important element too about bringing out the very best in people is actually coaching people and leading them to um, what the solution might be and getting them to kind of come up with some of these rather than kind of solving the problems um, for them uh, along the way as well. And so that, that you know, that coaching experience really, you know, helped me as well. So, yeah, it does sound like a fantastic part of your journey. Mm. Really interesting to hear about too. Uh, so we should now, as it were, dive into Beauty Pie, right? So it's just yeah. your most recent business. Uh, you've been Absolutely. there for years, a huge success story and, and a brand that's really well known. So, um, you know, certainly a lot of people I know over here in the UK are using it. Uh, and, and so it's a really well-known membership model and quite a disruptive player in that space uh be interesting just to hear a little bit about how you ended up there how you assessed the business you know what 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 kind of things impressed you when you joined yeah absolutely so um i've been at beauty pie now for about uh three three years um and i actually joined the joined the company um for a couple of reasons i I was um called about it because one of the VCs, uh, Index Ventures, as one of the uh, investors in the Series A, uh, there were also investors in Funding Circle, which was one of the businesses that I'd worked with previously, uh, was known to them. Plus, also, there were a couple of ex-colleagues of Funding Circle that um, were uh, were working uh, at Beauty Pie. And uh, so I got the call. And when I looked at the business, uh, I'd never worked in a or worked in a uh, beauty skincare makeup business I actually was pretty clueless about all the products as well I think I even said that to the founder in my interview with her as well um uh and uh I I think I was just really intrigued by the really disruptive kind of model and uh you know that uh where the traditional kind of beauty industry kind of has a typical kind of markup of somewhere between 10 to 15 times um what it costs uh to make um, what Beauty Pie uh, does is that they charge uh, somewhere on average about three times um, of that cost, and uh, but that that cost base is also heavily influenced by the formula that's created. It's uh, the products are, are super uh, efficacious. Um, if, for example, you know there's a certain percentage of ingredient that you need scientifically to ensure that that is. Um, you know, the most effective, that is the percentage uh, of that active ingredient that will go into that ingredient, uh, into that uh, into that formula. And Marcia Kilgore, uh, the founder, uh, is a serial entrepreneur. Um, I had admired her from a distance in the past. Uh, she started uh, other brands such as Bliss Bar um, in the US, um, which she sold to LVMH. Um, she started Serving Glory, which was sold to Boots. Uh, she still has her business, Fitflop, um, 
and uh, she's also uh, started uh, Beauty Pie as well, which I think will probably be her biggest uh, business um, yet. And uh, her passion and enthusiasm for uh, creating just amazing products and delivering them to women, uh, particularly, but um, but to her, but to to her members at a really great, um, phenomenal price, um, was something that I found um, really exciting. Um, I think from a personal perspective as well, I was keen to work for a female founder. It was the first time that I um, had done that. I've worked with um, many other founders, CEOs, uh, all, all male. Um, and um, I, it was also, it was one of the things that from a values perspective, I was, I was super keen to do. Um, so I think when I did some due diligence actually for the company, I went on social media and took a look at some of the communities that had been built so far in the first uh, four years of the company's, um, company's uh, life. It's now, we're now seven years old. And um, what I witnessed on social media was this incredible fan base. And um, I think for me, that was also incredibly, um, I guess, it, like I was incredibly excited about working for a business that already had such great product market fit and uh, such a great fan fan base. So. It wasn't actually a difficult decision to join um, and in the three years uh, that I've um, been there it's been quite a ride, it's been super hectic um, but lots of fun. We've more than doubled the size of the business um, at the top line and um, I think shortly after I joined the market was super hot um, in terms of fundraising and uh, index uh, said to us post a board meeting I think it was three or four weeks after I'd first joined we had a our first board meeting and um and just after it um Danny Rama said um guys have you considered doing a raise because the market's pretty good right now and uh I remember thinking my goodness I've just literally just joined we haven't done our gone through the budget cycle yet um I need to sort of continue to pick up the stones and see what's underneath and all of that kind of stuff. But we uh, we ran pretty hard and over the course of the following months, um, we pulled uh, the information together and went out to market. And within a very short space of time, I think we closed around July, August uh, that year, um, we closed 100 million Series B raise at a very attractive evaluation. And uh, we uh, then... I guess from that perspective, that really kind of shaped that trajectory for the for the business. It really allowed us um, and still allows the business to um, not be worried about what's going on externally um, because we've got, you know, a good, good chunk of cash in the bank still. And just really allows us to kind of really focus on that really messy stage that you're in as you're kind of scaling up a company, trying different things, testing and learning. Some things work, some things don't. We've also had, you know, this period of time um, as we've come out of COVID as well. We've had lots of challenges uh, like a lot of businesses on, uh, you know, uh, acquisition costs um, and tried lots of different things, different channels uh, to try and get that kind of right mix to help help the business uh, continue to, to grow and scale. And uh, to be able to do that without um, having that kind of fundraising uh, need uh, over us has been, um, you know, greatly kind of freeing for the for the leadership team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think those 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 businesses who raised say Series B funds around about the time that you did at Beauty Pie, uh, it was optimal timing certainly for things like you know valuation and quantum. It's also allowing a little bit of freedom in this window where 
economically things are not quite as white hot as they were two or three years ago. Yeah. Uh, but to have the cash balances that you mentioned earlier to, to, to give you the freedom to run the business as you want to in the light of different market conditions. Um, that's a special kind of freedom, right? And it sounds like you timed it perfectly. I'm really interested just to go back to like three of the decision points around the yeah. time that you joined, if that's all right. So you've got index leading the A. So that's that's a big brand, right? So a lot of the, yes. the biggest successes in Europe have been index companies. So that's powerful. Uh, you've got a serial founder. That's also, I would think, very desirable to have someone who's had success with a few businesses in the past. Uh, mm-hmm. And then you've also got the customer base that you can discover online, really advocating for the products. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of curious, right? Which of the three was the most powerful um, indicator that this is what you thought you wanted to go and do next? Oh, gosh, that's interesting. So I think index was a validation point. So that was a, um, and and they also had Gen Cat on the table and also um, Balderton. And then in Series B, we added Insight Partners um, and Latitude Local Local Globe. Um, so for me, that that's definitely important, but it's not the business because, you know, it's, um, uh, it just means that it's it's been validated. You know, some people are really excited and it's got caught the attention of those guys. Um, I think... It's not it's not index as the number one. I think it's it's a real balance between the serial founder and the customer base. But um, but probably on on balance, I think um, the customer base um, and subsequently, and I'm talking now with you know obviously having a few years experience with them, um, the the power of that um, community and that customer base. Um, it has really driven the performance of the business and um, this company has very strong um, unit economics um, and uh, the and great great customer retention and loyalty and that loyalty factor I think is really driving that success of that of the business um, I think very close second is, is obviously Marcia in terms of being a serial founder she's um, she's got a lot of experience under her belt. She knows what she wants, but and I think that's enabled her to also kind of hone in on this kind of model and this is the way to kind of execute because I think she probably could have executed the business in a similar kind of fashion but not have uh, earlier in her career but maybe not have kind of like really hit on those kind of key um, uh, points of desire for, uh, for, for her members. Mm. So... And, and actually, on that point, do you think the confidence that came from having founded businesses in the past uh, allowed her to focus on the membership model? Because for a lot of people in e-com, uh, like you've, you've got to really believe you've got something special to get a membership fee. I mean, it took, it took Amazon nearly 20 years, I think. So I know, um, yeah. that's quite a, a She went the other way. Yeah, she completely yeah. went the other Look, she likes to swim in, the diff- in different directions as well, which is why I love working with founders because founders often see things very differently, and she does. She sees, she, she sees the world quite, quite differently and, uh, and, I, and, and so really kind of challenges the norm. She wanted to really kind of flip on its head this whole um, way that the industry worked and actually the model in itself when she started out as a membership model it was a way to um uh to help kind of guide you know inventory uh levels so the way it sort of worked in the 
when you first uh, started was that you, you paid a membership fee which gave you a certain amount of spending money or credits that you could kind of spend um, on products. And so you were sort of limited in a way to how much you'd, you could you could buy. Um, and it was in part a way to... Um, uh, a bit of it was a bit of gamification in that kind of process, but I mean, ultimately, where it was coming from was like just tr- trying to kind of scale the business in a way where it was more predictable, where it was controlled, um, and pr- frankly, she thought she'd be like literally swept off her feet with lots of people kind of signing up immediately because of the of the value proposition. The reality is that you know in these markets, trying to you know, create brand awareness um, will d- does take time. But that payback, you know, comes over a, a longer kind of a longer kind of period. Um, so, uh, and and as the business has grown and scaled, what we've been able to do, and particularly uh, when I first uh, joined the businesses, we were able to um, make the model a lot more simpler uh, for people to understand. So you now pay an access fee, um, annual fee of fifty nine um, pounds or dollars, because we're also in the US uh, as well. And uh, you're able to buy um, anything that you want on the platform at member prices. And um, I, I, and I think, you know, that size and scale has sort of been able to kind of enable her to kind of open up um, that membership model. But that's, that's really where it sort of started from, you know, from right from the beginning. It was about trying to kind of control and manage, you know, the growth of the business. Um, and, um, and also, you know, over time kind of really created that that. That really strong community it's a great story it's a really great story and, and and actually um if you were to be advising other cfos on selecting their next role uh would that be the steer that you really need to get to know the, the founder really well and what what makes them tick and don't forget to do a, a bit of a deep dive on why it is that people buy from this company and why it's going to have a strong revenue stream going forward yeah 100 percent. i mean there are so many different angles to kind of consider when you're starting um when you're starting and looking for a new role but i think you know for me you know understanding um and and having real chemistry with that founder and uh and or ceo uh as well is is super important um because um you know that's where you're going to really be be able to kind of help influence and uh help enable uh, the vision of that founder slash CEO to 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 kind of be realised. Um, I'm very much, uh, um, I guess, a CFO who uh, is there to provide challenge, um, but also uh, is there to kind of unlock uh, opportunities as well, and yeah. Uh, yeah, enable that growth. So I think definitely kind of um, you know founder and CEO uh, dynamics, but also the rest of the leadership team who have has been on board. Uh, onboarded as well it's super important to kind of you know step into a team which fits the right culture uh for you i think for me um also there's um you know customer uh, i guess endorsement um is super important and product market fit um if you're in a a business that is already kind of starting to kind of scale up really be confident on those and the unit economics of the business um and uh, because that's really going to drive, you know, your whole investment case, right? Um, I think uh, when it comes down to it for Beauty Pie, when you're talking to external investors, you've got great product, um, you know, uh, great market fit. But actually, um, can you make money in the long term? 
Um, and so having those proof points is, is super important um, in order for you to kind of grow that value of that company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wise words. I'm sure there'll be lots of people out there uh, not knowing that you get the chance to meet the C-suite to figure out how you'd sit amongst those different personalities. But actually the one that defines, well, the, the degree to which you are able to add value is often that that piece of chemistry that you talk about, that, that little spark where whilst yourself and the founder are probably made up very differently, that you've got a good understanding about each other and that you're going to allow them to spearhead things and take risks but they're also going to allow you to be the counterbalance and help to kind of shore up some of those risks and put decent business frameworks around things. And uh, if you don't have that chemistry, it might be that, that you never achieve those things. Yeah, 100%. There's got to be that trust factor that, you're, that you play your roles, right? I'm not the entrepreneur. I'm not the, uh, I'm not the one uh, to come up with the big, hairy, crazy ideas, although I can... <laughs> I can play that game if I need to, but you know I have a particular role to to kind of play to enable those to to happen uh, as well. So yeah, 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 that makes a lot of sense, Elena. Um, fantastic. So uh, we could talk about this stuff all day. It's been really interesting to hear about Beauty Pie and all the things you've done. In fact, uh, I've got one last question because actually there, there was a wonderful piece where we were talking about uh, your growth journey and the coaching and the the ongoing element of coaching as part of Startup CFO. I'm talking to a couple of hundred tech CFOs a year, which is kind of fairly unique, really. And one yeah. of the things that I often hear is that uh, I meet a member, they're doing well in their career, they're thinking about coaching, but they haven't dived in. They've not, they've not found their coach, or there's a little bit of sitting on the fence, perhaps. Um, if if people are sitting on the fence, what what would be like? How would you help them to commit to finding the right coach for their journey? Wow. I just say, just do it. Like, just like, it's, it's really not a, a massive investment for something that can really unlock a huge amount of potential and give you sort of a real compass about um, the direction that you want to, you know, you want to move into. And uh, I think a lot of people think that they, and I think this might be the, the case with um, finance professionals as well. We always are, wanting to kind of see around the corner. We're trying to predict what's going to happen next uh, in many different ways and kind of mitigate things and all of that kind of stuff. And so, but when it comes to our own selves and we think about, you know, do you want to take on a coach and all of that kind of stuff, we're trying to kind of like map out well, what's it going to look like? How am I going to, like, what am I going to feel at the end? What am I going to have at the end? What, what's the, you know, what's the ultimate, you know, what am I going to get? And I think actually what you've got to do is for once, just don't prepare you don't prepare you just go you just go you take that first step you have that conversation and you see where it takes you because quite sometimes it can be quite surprising about uh, when you open yourself up to it and the possibilities um, which can be scary for people but you know some some really cool things can kind of come out uh from it so yeah yeah, yeah brilliant. so so just just sort of I just your fears and just dive in and do it. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't have to be perfect. It's the one thing nobody is judging you. Like there is no, yeah. there is no judgment with it. So uh, I think that's the really powerful thing about it. It's a, it's a very safe space for you to explore things. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. And, that, and that's key, I think, for finance people. You're quite right. We can worry too much about seeing around the corner. Uh, yeah. And actually, maybe as long as you believe that there might be something of great value around the corner, that that's enough. You don't need to know any more than that. You trust just, the process. Yeah. Yes, there's that yeah. trust the process kind of thing. <laughs> that's so. brilliant. Yeah, no, no, no. I think I think um, we hear that a lot. I think that would be uh, yeah. really helpful for people to hear and to understand how that's had such a fantastic effect on your journey. Uh, brilliant, fantastic, Alina. Well, look, um, look, I'm really enjoyed doing this one. It's been a fantastic recording. Um, thank you very much for being on the podcast. Uh, and look, we're, we're hoping to involve you in some of our in-person events in the spring, aren't we? Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that, actually. Um, face-to-face, yeah, um, is, uh, is, is super, super exciting. I'd love to do that. But yeah, thank you so much uh, for having me on the podcast, Guy. Thank you, Elena. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to doing our stuff in person in London. And uh, um, thank you again for being on the pod. Yeah. See you in 2024. You were listening to CFO Insights brought to you by Startup CFO. If you're a finance professional working in disruptive tech and would like to join our global network, visit our website, startupcfo.tech to learn more. This podcast was part of our CFO Insights series of discussions. And if you want to learn more about the Startup CFO group, follow us on LinkedIn to learn more about our community and the upcoming events. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast.